0: and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 200. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. So once again, we do have a question and answer episode coming up for you today. So this first question, Jack, it asks, why do people need to pee when they're dieting?
1: Yeah, so this is an interesting question. I think we we answered this quite a while ago, a bit more superficially, but uh, today we have a little bit more depth for the listeners. And I think anyone who's undergone a weight loss phase has noticed that whether it's during the day or especially at night, like you might tend to use the bathroom more frequently. Mm. And I think that one of the reasons we gave last time was purely around glycogen, and you're not only using more glycogen because you're in a calorie deficit. So you're breaking down glycogen for energy. And when we store glycogen, we store water along with that. I think one, anywhere from like two to four mils of water. And therefore you'll need to do something with that water, which is therefore excreted. But you're also storing less glucose as glycogen as well. So therefore the water that might otherwise be used to, to, to store glucose as glycogen which is glycogenesis, is then being excreted in your urine as well. Mm.
0: <laughs> it's it's a funny thing when you're dieting, eh? Like, you don't necessarily always have the energy levels to laugh out loud and pee your pants. <laughs> but you more often than not do have the urge to pee your pants. Because, you know, your bladder's just like, I gotta go.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I find that in the depths of prep, you're having to organize certain things around the bathroom. Like I I remember going shopping, like always having to make sure that I knew where the toilet was, which sounds a bit silly because I don't have any issues with that now, but like you really have to, otherwise an accident could happen.
0: At least you're a guy. You can just whip it out in a bush. Like. Yeah. <laughs> for girls it's a little bit more obvious if you've got to like squat down on a beach or something like that. But, you know, luckily we live in an area where there's plenty of serviced public toilets. But I've always thought about that too in prep. Like, of course you have that urge to go pee more frequently than not, but at the same time do we sometimes maybe build a little bit of a habit of it, do you think, like just in case? It's like, okay, I'm just about to go grocery shopping, just in case. I don't necessarily have to like pee a lot right now, but I'm gonna go pee just in case because I don't know how long I'm gonna be at the grocery store and you know, the bathroom could be quite a while away and I don't really wanna have to walk there with all my grocery bags or even psychologically. You know, when you're dieting, you kinda just like feeling a bit lighter on your feet. So you might build the habit of going pee more often in your routine Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I I definitely think so I think people especially maybe in the evening or waking up at night and they've conditioned themselves to be like okay I should go to the bathroom or Mm. there's a a very slight urge that I need to go so Mm. I'm going to use the bathroom when you could might usually just ignore it
0: yeah because you generally do wake up and go to the bathroom and you go pee but you're like oh, that definitely wasn't a full bladder mm. <laughs> but you know what I hate to state the obvious here but could people potentially be going pee more often when they're dieting simply because they're consuming more fluid Jack Hmm. definitely it's kind of the case of like oh my my computer won't work it's like have you tried turning it on and off (laughs) so a little bit obvious there but you know there is something to be said that when we do enter into a calorie deficit for a number of reasons we often increase our fluid consumption whether that is through just simply drinking more beverages because we're trying to combat hunger perhaps or give us ourselves a bit of a distraction so it's not uncommon for people to consume more frequently cups of tea and coffee diet sodas energy drinks you name it heck you could even increase the portion sizes of those like you know when you're like in the improvement season or whatever it may be like you're you're fine with just a standard 250 milliliter cup of tea But when you're dieting, you're like, nah, I'm going to go from the biggest mug in this house and wrap my hands around it and sip every single drop out of that thing just to really relish in it. So that's one Mm. thing. Could you just maybe be consuming a little bit more fluid? That's through beverages, but even through food as well. Like, you know, things like oatmeal. Are you adding maybe a little bit more water to your oats? Have you changed your meal plan to incorporate some sort of soup? You name it. So so, hate to state the obvious, but maybe you're going pee more because you have more fluid in your body.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the other addition as well is more whole foods. Like mm. you would, at least you'd hope that when someone's dieting, they would incorporate more fruits and vegetables to help satiate themselves. And um, especially, yeah, in, in other circumstances, they don't need to rely on maybe more carbohydrate dense food options, which therefore allows more fruit and veg. And we need to consider the potassium and sodium balance when having a higher proportion of fruit and vegetables like ultimately you're getting more potassium and and slightly less sodium which uh, potentially does encourage more fluid excretion
0: Mm, absolutely so the fluid balance there right it's it's all interconnected heck i would even say that sometimes if you are going from you know a bit more of a processed diet then over to a quite a whole foods diet. If you really are only getting trace sources of sodium in your diet, because you're purely just eating fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds and grains and lean meat sources. You need to make sure that you're actually then deliberately salting your meals a little bit. Otherwise you can run into that issue where, you know, like your blood pressure might be a little bit low or, you know, you're just not getting very good pumps in the gym, like sodium is still very good stuff. But if you go to one end of the extreme, then yeah, you're gonna be going pee a lot. And also you might run into a few cramps and uh, you might feel a little bit dizzy.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But yeah, I think those are probably some of the obvious things. But of course, like you alluded to, just consuming less carbohydrates in general, and even just your blood volume as well. If you're consuming less overall food, then you're going to have less solutes in your blood as well. You're actually just going to be a little bit less hydrated too. Or heck, if you take it to a real extreme and you go on a very low carb diet, we're talking like... Getting yourself into ketogenesis or something like that then a way that the body actually excretes ketones from the body as a waste product is through urine so you could even be peeing out ketones that's how a lot of people actually are then diagnosed as type 1 diabetics because they start increasing their frequency of urination and also they're not feeling very well. And also they're quite dramatically losing weight too. And it's like, whoa, okay. Like you, you're actually just continuing to go pee. Cause you're actually in ketosis.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not too many people are experiencing that.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and As who are bodybuilders, like sure. If you want to go ahead and do the ketogenic diet, then that's your discretion.
0: <laughs> well, we've probably spoken enough on this podcast at length about all the wonderful benefits of carbohydrates for health and for gains
1: mm, certainly yeah
0: <laughs> but i think another one too jack is you know more often than not when people go into a calorie deficit they report being a little bit cold even in the depths of summer i know right now we're here in australia and you're sitting there in some shorts and a t-shirt i'm my friend and wearing some track pants because i'm a little bit chilly on my extremities <laughs> and the reason for that is because When you are dieting, right, your metabolic rate is slightly lower. And because you're burning less energy, you're expelling less hydrogen ions as heat through your extremities. And what actually happens if you're feeling a bit cold is that your body's trying to regulate its core body temperature particularly around your vital organs. So what happens is that a lot of your blood volume is actually redirected to your core. And then if you have more total blood volume within a smaller surface area, that's obviously gonna put a little bit more pressure on your kidneys as well. And then they're going to have to increase their filtration rate, which is going to lead to more urine in your bladder, which is gonna lead to you having to go pee.
1: Yeah, the more you know. (laughs) I think another one as well, which granted would be very, very small, would be the water loss or H2O loss associated with body fat mm. or oxidation of of body fat. Because when we do oxidize fatty acids and, and glucose to use it as energy, it uh, gets broken down into CO2 and H2O as well. And those byproducts needed to, to be excreted somehow. So CO2 is obviously expelled when we breathe out. And... H two O can be done through vast array of bodily processes. Could be snot. Could be saliva. Could be peeing. Could even be tears. If you're one of those people in prep who have a good cry every so often.
0: Oh goodness! All damn bodily fluids. All the bodily fluids. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's got to get out of you somehow, right? Literally burning fat. Maybe you're peeing a little bit of it out.
1: Well, I guess even when you. Like your respira- respiration, like when you breathe out, you also mm. breathe out some form of what moisture? Yes. Yeah. Like perspiration or...
0: <laughs> but you know, over here, we fully recognize that prep is tough, but we do hope that as you are burning through body fat, you are peeing it out, breathing it out, sneezing it out. Hopefully you're not crying it out. <laughs> yeah. But there you go, guys. Unless it's
1: happy tears.
0: Happy tears, right? Up on that first place podium on show day, right? Cry out all the body fat you want. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. I think that's probably a good number of reasons why when you are dieting, you're taking more trips to the bathroom.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's much more an in-depth answer than last time.
0: Yes, exactly. But I think overall, it probably all does come back to probably that top one of Hey man, you're probably just mm. drinking a little bit more and consuming more fluid so, you know, your your bladder's like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This next one, it's an interesting one, Jack, and this is really related to kind of chrononutrition. It asks if total daily calorie intake is equal, is there a difference between eating your meals late at night versus earlier during the day?
1: Yeah, there certainly is a difference and we'll explain why in just a second. I think there's definitely a lot of viewpoints on this in the health and fitness industry and there's different levels as to which this can occur. So for example, if someone is maybe just really struggling to get the fundamentals down for their health and fitness journey and they're focusing more on accountability and consistency, then I would argue that getting in your nutrition at any time is is important, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's like spread out evenly throughout the day or biased towards the morning or biased towards the evening. It's just important that you tick certain boxes. But once someone has got down that level of adherence and accountability then it's time to be maybe a little bit more specific about when they are consuming their food and and i mean we've almost always advocated for a front-loaded approach Mm. which we used to be more vocal about in past years but the research that we've done for this question kind of further reinforces that okay you are potentially going to benefit more from one having an eating window of like 10 to 12 hours and secondly trying to maybe bias a front-loaded approach with your nutrition
0: Mm, absolutely because you know on paper it's very simple math you know people are often like energy in versus energy out a calorie is a calorie right but we have to think like that old saying you are what you eat it's actually more so the case of you are what you digest and metabolize and absorb and interestingly enough (laughs) the time that you actually eat specific foods during the day in specific quantities is going to influence how you digest, metabolize, and absorb those foods. It's, it's very fascinating when it does come to chrononutrition. There's no doubt about it. And mm. like you alluded to, that eating window, right? Like uh, it's actually recommended that you are consuming your food and all of your meals within the day within like a 10 to 12-hour window. And if you're consuming that within a 10 to 12-hour window, that then implies that you should be fasting within a 12 to 14 hour window, which for some people might sound a little bit absurd.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you break it down, I think people with maybe poor lifestyle habits around sleep and eating, yes, they would struggle to do that. Mm. If you're eating at 12 AM and then eating again at 6 AM, that would be difficult. But I mean, for, yeah, I would say that Most people might even be unintentionally having a, or many people might unintentionally be having a 12 hour fasting window. Mm.
0: But then again, if that 12 hour fasting window is more so biased toward the evening and biological night compared to the morning, that's where sometimes, you know, you can run into, you know, a few health concerns right down the line. But for you and I, let's think about our eating window. What time do you generally eat your first meal? And then what time you finish dinner?
1: So I usually finish my first meal at 7.30 in the morning and I will finish my evening meal at around 7. So it's about, what, 11 and a half hours.
0: Mm, yeah, I'm very similar. I usually eat my breakfast around 8 a.m. and then finish dinner around 6.30. So that's about 10 and a half hours. Mm. Yeah. But even then, like on either side of those, I know that before breakfast, I'll have like a coffee. Would you count coffee as breaking a fast?
1: No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure about the technicality, but I don't consider it.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure actually intermittent fasting folks don't include coffee. I think, I think you are able to consume like calorie-free beverages like that. And it's not actually deemed as, okay, you're breaking your fast but either way you and I kind of fall within that sort of window which it it just it works well for us and then in terms of biasing calories right I know that I definitely bias my calories toward the earlier portions of the day particularly right now while I'm in prep but it's still the same even in my improvement season like my breakfast is always my biggest meal lunch is my second biggest meal and then it tapers down for our third meal and then dinner in the afternoon it's kind of like that really old saying jack it's like eat breakfast like a king lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper right so calories kind of tapering down throughout the day mine are a bit dramatic like i have around 700 calories for breakfast and then around 500 calories for lunch And breakfast is at 8 a.m., lunch is around 12.30. And then at 4 p.m., I only have, like, 250 calories. And then my dinner is, like, just over 200 calories. So it, like, really dramatically declines. Mm. But I just find that overall, like, that really helps to fuel the day, benefit my energy levels, benefits my, my training performance, my recovery, satiation. And it's always nice as well, you know, like, actually going to bed and... course when you're dieting you're always going to have a little bit of an appetite but just like not feeling really stuffed and then when you wake up the next morning you feel really comfortable in your waistline
1: yeah i I agree and i think sometimes there are certain situations where you may have to bend the recommendations like for example me at the moment
0: Mm.
1: i still have like a 12 1300 calorie meal in the evening
0: that's wild
1: (laughs) yeah but granted that's still like roughly two and a half hours before I go to bed Mm. or go to sleep. Uh, And secondly, like if you train in the morning and you're in a dieting phase, then it still might be useful to have slightly more food in the evening. Still, when you're dieting, it's still not going to be a big meal per se, but it might, instead of having like protein and vegetables, you might want to have some carbohydrates, Mm. like play around with that. Cause that's, I'm certainly going to play around with that myself, like Mm. partly due to sleep, but partly also cause I trained in the morning.
0: Yeah, I guess it just, it's always going to be dependent on the circumstance of the person, right? Like, I guess a male bodybuilder like yourself, right now, what consuming in the realm of 700 carb per day, and mm-hmm. you'll be starting a mini cut on like 400 carb. You have the luxury to be like, yeah, I can put 75 or 100 carb in at dinner. But then you have like a 45 kilo bikini athlete who's only consuming 100 carb per day. <laughs> Is it even going to scratch the surface? Will it make much of a difference if she's like, yeah, I have 25 grams of my carbs from white rice at night like is that going to influence her morning cardio
1: probably not uh, oh
0: probably not so yeah I think it, def- it definitely depends on oh, oh, how much are you actually consuming in in the total day
1: <laughs> mm. yeah certainly <laughs> are you interested in optimizing your nutrition training or physique if so head on over to our website and explore our coaching services we have options for everyone regardless of whether or not you want to compete tap the link in the show notes below or head on over to our website, thebodybuildingdietitians.com to inquire now. Another good point here as well, sort of emphasizing maybe having more carbohydrates in the earlier portion today is is kind of our glucose tolerance, which peaks during daylight and is lower during the night slash dark cycle. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of further reinforces if you're more, if your tolerance is, Higher in the earlier portion of the day, you would want to have more carbohydrates at that time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like it really does come back to that principle of chrononutrition, which essentially means you're nourishing yourself in line with your circadian rhythm because our body has like this biological clock and it loves being in rhythm, it loves being in sync, it loves everything to be in harmony in terms of hormone secretion, times of the day when we are falling asleep and waking up, times of the day when we are used to consuming a meal, times of the day when we are used to getting outside in the fresh air, having sunlight in our eyes, you know, exercising, etc. Our body loves to have this sort of really just harmonious circadian rhythm and it's quite interesting you know like for the average person who would have what's deemed like a normal human circadian rhythm Like you were alluding to, like glucose tolerance peaks during the daylight and then it actually lowers down at biological night. For example, our tissues and our organs and our cells are a lot more glucose sensitive during the earlier portions of the day. And even the beta cells in our pancreas are like, they can secrete like 15% more insulin during the earlier portions of the day compared to biological night. And for example, there's even certain hormones that are going to go through peaks and troughs in the body throughout the day that are really gonna help just regulate this circadian rhythm and overall our homeostasis. So for example, we know melatonin, the sleep hormone, right? Melatonin, it's going to drop in the average person around 7 a.m., but then it's going to rise at 8 p.m., which means that you're nice and awake around seven and then you're going to start falling asleep and getting pretty sleepy around 8pm. That's also in line with cortisol as well. Cortisol in the average person usually spikes around the 8am mark. And you know, when we're usually in our deepest sleep, that's going to be around 1am. And then even that's regulated with our body temperature. Body temperature is generally going to start to rise around 3am. So there's all of these things that are inter right? right? The thing is, is that our circadian rhythm can majorly be thrown off by things like being exposed to bright lights at nighttime which you know all of the blue light right and not actually falling asleep around that 8 p.m. mark even though our melatonin's trying to go up we're just not actually quite feeling drowsy and tired yet you might be eating really late at night as well and it's important to try to finish your final meal of the day at least two hours prior to going to bed so that you can get a really good quality sleep so if you start to kind of interfere with these things in terms of, you know, just your overall daily routines and habits, and it starts to impact your circadian rhythm, that's then going to have these sort of downstream effects on these hormones. They're trying to be secreted at these certain times, but things just keep getting pushed back.
1: Mm. Yeah. So um, I think there's so many things to consider there and sort of, or reinforcing that there's more benefits associated with having that more front-loaded approach and and not having a drastic amount of calories in in the evening and i guess yet yet more some some further statistics that reinforce this is like um, diet induced thermogenesis being around 40 percent lower in the evening compared to the morning so that's a huge number
0: that's massive 40 percent right like well it's it's huge but it's also it's not like Enormous, but it's still something over well, it's time. It's almost half. Yeah, it's almost half. But we talk about how, like diet induced thermogenesis, which is basically the thermic effect of food, how many calories do you burn just by consuming, digesting, metabolizing, absorbing certain foods? it usually only contributes to around 10% of resting energy expenditure. So let's say that the average person at rest required, let's say, 2,000 calories per day to just rest up and maintain who they are. 10% of that is 200 calories. So if it's 40% less than in the evening compared to the morning, probably looking at somewhere just sub maybe 100 calories, but hey, you know, that's basically a macro cut. So things add up
1: yeah I mean yeah it's it's not a lot in terms of the whole day but it's a lot in terms of the actual amount of thermogenesis itself and like the fact that something can be almost halved just by eating food in the evening is Mm. I'm not even sure of the mechanism behind that to be Mm. honest maybe because or for the aforementioned reasons
0: Mm, well we obviously we're, we're here thinking about calories burnt but also like the importance of obviously being able to digest and metabolize and absorb your food i think that's first and foremost so you'd have to say there that you know early in the earlier portions of the day gastric emptying rates are actually a lot higher so for example if you are consuming more of your food during the earlier portions of the day and you're really fueling the day You'll probably notice that like food, it just doesn't feel like it's sitting in your stomach as long. And that's also why gastric motility is quicker during the earlier portions of the day too. And during the day, it's why people often have more bowel motions, you know? (laughs) So if you have a bigger breakfast and a bigger lunch, like that food is going to be digested in your stomach. And then it's going to go down into your intestines which is really gonna help with your overall health and your energy levels and being able to absorb and utilize those nutrients. Whereas if you were to consume those same equal amount of calories later in the day, it might just feel like it's just kind of sitting in you and it might just feel that little bit slower, which obviously then leads to you feeling a bit lethargic and maybe not absorbing those nutrients as, as quick of a rate and also can impact your digestion as well in terms of motility and actually having healthy bowel motions which we all want yes we do can't deny you know it's it's a healthy thing to go poo (laughs) makes you feel lighter on your feet and makes everyone feel happy especially your gut microbiome that that's another thing actually jack i i read this really fascinating thing about you know the gut microbiome and chrononutrition in the fact that like gut microbes they're very sensitive to the circadian rhythm and core body temperature and also melatonin secretion but the actual microbes within your gut they will because think about we've all seen something on tv where you know that like animation where there's like one cell it splits into two then three then four like bacteria it just harvests and grows at like phenomenal rates and it's not like your gut microbiome is just static and it's like this is what it is this is how many microbes you have lo and behold this is what you're stuck with It's constantly changing and it's changing throughout the day, throughout like a 24 hour span. So based on your circadian rhythm at different times of the day, you will actually have different peaks and troughs in different variations of gut microbes, which overall are going to influence your overall systemic health, your immune system, your appetite, your mood, again, your digestion, All of these things, which, man, it all comes back to making sure that your circadian rhythm is in check.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think as we uncover more about the gut microbiome, we'll learn more about that. And um, I think there's a lot of things to still be uncovered about what uh, what the gut microbiome means and Mm. the impacts that it has. And also what varies it (laughs) too.
0: But, you know, look at us rambling. Jack, back to the original question if total daily energy intake is equal is there a difference between consuming the majority of your calories in the earlier portions of the day versus the majority at night or just like sporadically eating throughout the day depending on the day is it really going to make that much of a difference
1: yeah i think we've established that there is certainly going to be a difference associated with all the factors we've mentioned like glucose sensitivity and gastric emptying our gut microbiome as well certain mm. hormones like melatonin insulin is a hormone as well so um and i think i would just look back on if you are someone who maybe does eat the bulk of their calories or a large proportion of your their, your calories in the evening then just sort of ask yourself why that is like mm. is it because of preference is it because of your lifestyle like your job uh has, means that you just don't have enough time to eat so I would try and sort of put some plans in place to circumnavigate that and try and just have a bit more of a front-loaded approach with your nutrition.
0: Mm. Especially if you are a physique athlete or any type of athlete or any type of just person walking around this planet that truly wants to thrive. You know, We were born to be awake during the day and be alive and up and at it. And to logically it just makes sense. And also our circadian rhythm it points so much evidence in this direction to say fuel the day eat more of your calories during the day during the daylight hours compared to biological night and you're going to have much better energy levels you're going to have much better overall health better training performance better quality sleep at night you name it even when you look at like the two different types of chronotypes you have morning larks and you have night owls and Depending on your chronotype, you know, there's even literature to suggest that those who are night owls, which means that they generally fall asleep at much later hours of the night or very early hours of the morning, they generally eat later in the evening as well, and more often than not, just their sleep is a little bit disrupted and their days aren't quite as structured and they're not fully taking advantage of those daylight hours there's a lot of evidence that is in support of being a night owl if you fall into these sort of habits and routines that it can dramatically influence your health status in a very negative way. You know like night owls compared to morning larks they're more likely to have metabolic dysfunction, they're more likely to have diabetes, abdominal disorders, psychiatric conditions, you name it right. I know that's a little bit extreme but it is even in relation to how they say like shift work and stuff obviously the world needs shift workers and we need nurses and we need people that work late at night but gosh unfortunately they really do take a hit right because being awake at those hours of the night when the human body is supposed to be resting and asleep it can really disrupt things in the long term it's also why like nurses they have this saying of keep it light at night so if you're on a night shift (laughs) You don't want to be eating a lot of food, right? Keep it light. Mm. Yeah, so I think there's a number of reasons why uh, people should try to eat a little bit more food during the day. Heck, there's even studies out there that actually show that people who just have larger breakfasts, even if calories aren't matched, even if they actually consume more calories across the entirety of the day because they actually ate more food they then have more energy to burn more energy their meat levels are significantly higher and those calories more often than not can actually be canceled out so even in our experience jack like you and i both we can both consume a decent amount of calories right whether or not we're dieting or whether or not we're in the improvement season And I think there's a lot to be said there because not only do we just look after ourselves, but we really fuel the day. We have better energy levels during the day to burn more energy. We're not like zombies and lethargic. And that's certainly something that I've noticed with my clientele as well. I I always encourage people to have bigger breakfasts and bigger lunches and try to get out of that habit of really backloading a lot of calories and I find that when people can sort of make this lifestyle and nutrition adjustment when they feel remarkably better, but also they're generally able to eat more food than they were previously while actually having a better body composition as well. So there's just perks, perks, perks.
1: Yep. Hopefully we've convinced some people on the podcast.
0: <laughs> Hopefully we can encourage people to eat their breakfast.
1: Yeah. I think um, that's a good summary to a great question. And if you want to ask us more about it or have additional questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Instagram at the bodybuilding dietitians.
0: Mm, great. Well, you know, two questions there. We definitely dug into the weeds. <laughs> Are we going to finish on one final question for today?
1: Yeah, sure. As always, we'll finish on something that we learned this past week. So I'll let you kick start this off.
0: Can I kick start it off by asking you what you learned this week? Sure. <laughs> All right, Jack. What did you learn? Give it to me. Teach me something.
1: Yeah. So something that I learned the other day was actually uh, associated with, what is it, housework or, or cleaning. <laughs> but uh, one of us has a, a fuller of hair of head than the other, one of us, and that caused one of the uh, shower drains to be slightly clogged. Boston. Yeah. Blame it on the dog. <laughs> and... Yeah, rather than getting a plumber, which I didn't really want to play, pay for a plumber, decided to kind of look up the traditional household method. How do you un- unclog a, a block drain full of full of hair? And we live in a house, by the way, that was built in the 60s. So the drains aren't particularly great here. So potentially we need to do more of an upstream approach of, of, of not just unblocking it when they're clogged. But yeah, I just used um, bicarbonate of soda and some vinegar and then some boiling water in. And that seemed to do the trick.
0: So how did you actually do it? Because I missed it. Like, yeah. did you just pour it I all noticed down? that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I definitely contributed to the block drain, but I was making oats at the time of it being unblocked. But how did you actually do it?
1: Well, I just poured bicarbonate of soda and then poured vinegar down there and then it kind of all sizzled up and then you let that sit for 10 minutes and then you pour boiling water down there and then I actually gave it a bit of a plunge with the plunger as well and it did did the trick.
0: Adios. Yep. Man. Okay. See, that's the thing. You need a method.
1: Yeah. Well, I can grow grass now, which our backyard (laughs) is looking much nicer and I can unclog drains. Um, I'm slowly adding to my house (laughs) husband's skill set.
0: You are quite the handyman. <laughs> if, if this whole bodybuilding thing doesn't work out, you can actually join that company called Hire a Hubby.
1: Yeah. Get your
0: own little truck. <laughs> yeah. But thank you very much. Boston and I do thank you.
1: Mm. What did you learn though?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm not sure if I, if I learned it or if I was just humbly reminded this past week, but... I did get back into dieting this past week and, you know, I was just kind of humbly reminded that if you kickstart a diet in more of a relatively lean body composition coming off the back end of like a diet break or a few days of refeeding, those first few days where your calories have been dropped. I dare wouldn't say that you're in a honeymoon phase anymore cuz we all know what it's like you know when you're have a little bit more body fat on you maybe peak improvement season and then you go into a dieting phase whether that's like a mini cut or just a standard diet or it's a prep Those first few weeks, it's kind of like dieting's just going on in the background. You're not really just like kind of sensitive to any sort of negative effects of dieting. You're like, holy moly, you know, my carbs have been dropped by 200 grams and I don't feel any different. If anything, maybe I feel even better. But I think it's definitely related to a body composition thing based on that initial starting point. Because in my current prep timeline, I just came off the back end of like four weeks at maintenance calories where my total daily carbohydrate intake was anywhere between like 300 to 350 grams per day. But then we dropped those back down to 180 grams this past week, coincided with like drop in dietary fat, drop in protein. Overall it was roughly around like 800 calories right off the bat. And I think because I was then starting off in a leaner position, I just felt that. Like I just felt those first few days of like glycogen being depleted, my blood pressure coming down, my resting heart rate coming down. I was like, whoa, okay. Like the energy dip was so much more dramatic, which I just found very fascinating. I was like, that is so interesting. And it's just a kind of a humble reminder for me that your body's going to be sensitive to kind of just feeling the dieting conditions based on the actual body composition that you are. So it's really always going to come back to, it's a body composition thing. It's not a calorie thing. So Mm. that's why I just noticed these past few days, but heck over that hump, thank gosh, it only lasted about three days. And now I'm just like, cool. I'm groovy.
1: Yep. Until the next diet break.
0: Until the next diet break. It almost makes makes me think like, I'll I'll just keep cruising on this for now. (laughs) No, but fascinating nonetheless. I think there's just, it's so beneficial, honestly, to be a bodybuilding dietitian coach myself and being going through my own prep now after not having competed for almost three years. Like I'm just reminded of all of these things that my own clients have gone through over these past number of years. And even though I've gone them through them myself too, like, you know, y- you need to be reminded of them as well. Cause it, it gets to a point where it's like, Oh, it's just a distant memory. Right. But then mm. when you're actually in the thick of it, you're like, Whoa, I feel this now. Like I, I really get it. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, mm. yeah, that's what's, going to separate these preps for us than the ones we did previously Mm. just the amount of experience we've had working with individuals
0: yeah absolutely but uh you know i'm all here for it every every high low in between you know i i just love to experience it so um yeah that was fascinating but glad to have a little bit more energy back not gonna lie Mm. (laughs) hey i pushed and uh weight did drop by 1.1 kilos so can't complain over five days Jack, there we go. Another podcast in the books. 200, but it's not actually our 200th episode. I think that we have actually released a total of 298 episodes, 298 total audio tracks. So we're just veering on that 300 mark after five years of podcasting. So we're almost up to that really big milestone, which is pretty cool.
1: Mm. Yeah, we'll certainly hit that early in the new year.
0: Yeah, well, you know, if you guys have been here for one day, one week, one month, one year. If you've been here since the very start from episode one, we just want to thank you so much for following along, for supporting us. You know, like it seriously does mean the world that other people on the other side of this are actually listening. So Thank you very much, and if you haven't done so already, whatever podcast channel you're listening on, if you could please head over and give us a five-star rating. It really does help the channel grow, and it just helps more people discover TBD, so we'd really appreciate it, and if you're feeling extra friendly, feel free to please leave a review as well, as long as it's nice. (laughs) All right, guys, thank you very much. We'll catch you in the next episode.